Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by House of Moss, where you'll find home decor and little soft sculptures made of felted wool and other natural materials. Check out Allison's creations at houseofmoss.etsy.com. Okay, so let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Welcome to episode 129 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm very excited to bring you two guests during this episode. I was very fortunate to get a chance to interview the author and illustrator of a new book called Extra Yarn. And this is a picture book, so it's intended for children, but if you love to knit, you're going to love this book. Extra Yarn is a fantastic little book about a little girl named Annabelle who finds a box of yarn and decides to knit herself a sweater. After she gets done knitting a sweater, she has extra yarn. So she knits her dog a sweater. This kind of continues, and uh, I won't give away the ending, but I will tell you that the ending is very good. I interviewed the author, Mac Barnett, and the illustrator, John Clausen, for a column I wrote for the Grand Rapids Press and MLive.com, and uh, decided that I wanted to record the interview for the podcast because I really thought you would enjoy hearing the story of how this book was made. First, we're going to hear from Mac Barnett. He is the author of several picture books, including uh, Billy Twitters and his Blue Whale Problem, Guess Again, and Oh No, How My Science Project Destroyed the World. He's also written the Brixton Brothers series of mysteries, and my daughter, Abby, who's seven, just started reading the first book in the series and uh, she's enjoying that. So let's get to the interview with Mac and then we're going to hear from John in just a little bit. Well Mac I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I, I love your book Extra Yarn. Now with a title like that of course it's going to appeal to the knitter and crocheter in me because this is something that all of us kind of wish for. It's our blessing and curse you know extra yarn. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want you to um, talk a little bit about just the story, how you came up with this, because this is really the best kind of extra yarn possible. And if you can talk about the little girl here in the story. Sure. Yeah, the the story is about a girl named Annabelle who, um, and she lives in a, in a kind of a, a drab town um, and, and finds a, a box one day in a, in a field, in a snow field. And the box is, is full of yarn. Um, so she knits herself a sweater and, uh, and she sells some extra yarn. So she knits a sweater for her dog. And, and still has extra yarn, so keeps knitting sweaters for people, and eventually animals and things. And, and uh, this box, this box never, never really uh, runs out. Um, and, and actually, its origin it was uh, it was in an image I saw on uh, on the illustrator John Crossan's site that that I mean, it didn't have a story attached to it, but as soon as I saw it, um, I, it was just really narratively loaded, um, and and became the basis actually for one of the images in the book. Uh, it's it's a girl and a dog walking uh, down the street, and they're both wearing matching sweaters. And as soon as I saw okay. that, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I know. I I think I know a story from this." Now, did she have a box, or was she just? It was a girl. She did not have a box. Okay. No, no, no. The box that that was that was mine. You can't you can't rely on these illustrators for everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm gonna be talking. See, to, John just so had you know. no idea about a box. Yeah, well, just so you know, I'm going to be talking to John tomorrow. Oh, so, well, so, I should have so, talked yeah. second. I so, should have yeah. talked yeah. second. 
the extra yarn thing, did you do you have any kind of craft background or anything that inspired you to do? You know, I like I do not know how to knit. I do know how to darn. I darned. I I darn. <laughs> I'm not sure I darn very well, but I darn. Uh, and but I do. I, I and based on all of that darning I'm doing, I can probably guess I own a lot of sweaters. I, I do own a lot of sweaters, but I don't know how to make a sweater. But it sounds like you have respect for the craft. Did, I did shear a sheep once too when I was a kid. So that's really that was an important part of making a sweater. Well, you know, I, I think the world can always use more books about crafting and you know storybooks about handmade things. I think it's uh, I, no, I think it's wonderful. It's a beautiful story, and I think we'll have people. It's uh, I, I have you do a reading, but I think that would steal the thunder from the story. So we want people to go out and get a copy of it, read it to their kids. And even if you don't get have two any, copies of yeah, it, get, really, get, get ten copies of it, and, and get, get ten it. copies. Or 20 copies. and uh, Really, get 50 <laughs> copies. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, yeah, if you buy 50 copies, I think, didn't you say that they get a box in the mail that has endless yarn in it? If the, if the 50 that's right, copies, yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Start the lawsuits going. Luckily, I keep a lawyer on retainer. I'll make all kinds of guarantees. Did you know John before? I did know John. Yeah, um, I, I'd seen John's work. He hadn't. This was this was a few years ago, um, and he was just starting to do picture books at that time. Um, and I, I don't think he actually had anything out yet, even. But I'd seen his work, and I, I loved it. And uh, and and so we'd met, and I know we'd become kind of fast friends. We both we both liked a lot of the same picture books, and really liked talking about them. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was just looking on his, I was actually, to be honest, I was on a date and, uh, and I, I was like, Hey, you want to see John Clausen's website? Which shows you that the date wasn't going particularly well. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably, probably not. Oh, good. Yeah, that's not a good sign where you're like, let's look at John Clausen's website. That's a good activity. Were you talking about picture books or anything or just I, I probably was I think I feel I was more like desperate <laughs> for something to do because I, I I I knew every I mean I had seen John's website many times but <laughs> this time when I saw that that image I was like oh this is such a good one and I kind of made up the broad strokes of the story uh right then right on the uh, date on the date and then, and then, and then, my date gave like a very terrible ending to the story. She was like, "Oh," and then kind of took it in this other direction. And that was when I knew that that would be the last date. Oh goodness! Was, was this the first and the last date, or was it? Yeah, it was indeed. Oh, it was indeed. It sounds like immediately you had a story to go with it, and you said you did know. Yeah. John. you knew John. So did you contact him, or what did you do? You know, I, I actually, I wrote the story first, so I, I sat down, and, and, you know, I had the broad strokes of it, but, but getting a picture book text uh, just right takes some time, and, and, and I worked on that, and then once I was done, uh, I sent it to John and really hoped uh, that he would be into it, because if he wasn't, I didn't really see any way that the book could get made, uh, seeing as one of the scenes was his image. Um, but luckily he did, so... Yeah. So then did you guys approach the publisher together then? Because I know a lot of times we did. the publishers, yeah, they want to pick their own it is. artist. It they... is very unusual way to work because, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Typically, um, publishers match you up with an illustrator. Right. 
um, and and don't even really want you talking to the illustrator. They, they, you know, their dream is to kind of keep the author and the illustrator separate and filter any communication uh, between the two. Isn't that kind of strange, though? You know, I, I mean, think that's really weird. It doesn't make sense to me. I think it is. I think it is a strange way to work. I, I, you know, you do hear occasional horror stories about authors who get mad at illustrators and write them emails and say, like, ah, oh, you ruined uh, this book. Oh no! You gave this character red hair, and he's clearly blonde. You know, um, and you do hear that, but I, that's pretty rare. And and really, it's more. I think it makes the editor's life a lot easier uh, to not it. have an author yeah. and illustrator teaming up. But it's a shame. I mean, that's not how that's not how picture books used to be made. And and a lot of my favorite picture books were written in the in the fifties and sixties. And and I mean, in that you had an editor, an author, an illustrator, a printer, all in the same room, feeling you know the the paper and and making those selections. And it, and it, it doesn't work that way anymore. And I think that's a shame. Now, so what are some of your favorite picture books? I love uh, I love books by uh, Tommy Unger. He's a great guy. He did Three Robbers and uh, The Mysterious Beast of Monsieur Racine. I love James Marshall, uh, who did the George and Martha books. He also did The Stupids with, uh, <laughs> with Harry Allard. That's a great, that's a great series. The Stupids Step Out is the first one. <laughs> that is my, probably my favorite first sentence, which is, One day Stanley Q. Stupid had an idea. Oh, that's This hilarious. was unusual. <laughs> Yeah, I try to tell my kids not to call each other stupid. So, um, but we might have to make an exception and bring stupid in. And yeah, and you know, yeah. I think that's right. They, they shouldn't call each other stupid, but this family is named the stupid. Named so I don't stupid, know what so else. You have to suspend the rule. You can't have to say what else can them. you do? Yeah, yeah. No. So it sounds like you have some old favorites, and now you're creating uh, what, what you would hope were going to be favorites for a, gen- a whole new generation of kids and their parents. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is always the hope. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious about your background. Uh, are you from California, or where, where are you from? Yeah, I am. I grew up in the East Bay, so I I, I live very close to where I, I grew up. Um, and I've lived in California my whole life, basically. Uh, a short stint in London for like, I don't know, six months. Uh, but other than that, I've always lived in California. And so where did you go to school? I went to school at Pomona College, which is down uh, near L.A. Okay. And did you study writing there, or what did, what did you study? I did. Yeah, I did study writing there. Um, I, I studied, I, I was an English major and then took some writing classes. Uh, the writer, uh, David Foster Wallace, was a, a, a professor there. Oh, wow. There, That's just, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so he was great, and, and he, he, was, he, was my, uh, he was my writing teacher. And really, I think, like, I'd always wanted to be a writer. Uh, and it was, was kind of, I don't know, nervous to... To take that class just because I thought it was going to be the moment where I discovered that I didn't have what it takes, uh, and and that ended up being the thing that that kind of gave me the confidence to uh, to really make a go of it. That's awesome. So were you? Yeah. Were you? Did you get started writing uh, picture books right away, or what? What led to this? Well, I, I also. Um, in my summers off from college, I used to work at a summer camp for four to six year olds. It was a it was a sports camp, and and I would always uh, be the counselor for the four year olds, which was good because four year olds can't play sports, and and I also can't play sports. <laughs> uh, 
That's funny. So we were, we were well matched. And, uh, and so they would get tired very quickly after dribbling through cones, like four cones. And they're like, this, <laughs> and is, like this okay, is boring. We're, done. we're totally done. Yeah. And I'd be like, I agree. Yeah, this is boring. I don't, I don't see the point. And then we would just hang out. And, uh, and so in those downtimes, I would make up stories and tell them uh, to the kids. And, and that's what I kind of figured out. I was like, oh, man, this is my audience. I, I had so much fun doing that. And I'd always, since I was a kid, I'd wanted to be a writer. And I never knew what kind of writing I wanted to do until I was at that camp and, and then realized that this was my audience. Oh, that's awesome. So did you just start writing down the things you were telling these kids? Uh, you know, I, I, most, of those, most of those stories were, were like uh, – autobiographical lies, just uh, <laughs> adventure stories. Right. That, uh, so it was mostly about, you know, they'd be kind of serial stories about my work spying for the Queen of England or, or my time in the circus. And, and uh, I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't gone back and, and written some kind of self-aggrandizing autobiography. But uh, some of the elements, I, they're, they're just great. Like it, was, it was so fun to do. I, I would tell these adventure stories. I'm in one... Uh, this, uh, I, I was talking about how I got attacked by this jaguar in a cave. And, and finally, there was like too much for this one kid. And all this, like, this pirate ship sinking, all this other stuff he was in. But he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You did not get attacked by a jaguar. So they believed I was like, everything I did. else. Yeah, they believed everything else for like three weeks. And I was like, I did. I really did. And you think you gotta, you gotta prove it. And I was like, okay, I'll prove it tomorrow. And then the next day, he's like, you were going to prove it. We have to prove it now. And I was like, check it out. And I just brought in a white T-shirt that I had, like, gotten dirty and ripped. And, and I was like, look, this is a shirt. And he was like, oh, okay, you did get, you did get eaten by the jaguar. He, oh, my definitely. goodness. Yeah, was, it was just, it was like, ah, oh, that's, 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 that's why kids are the best audiences for stories. Because that's exactly, like, that's what you want from a fiction reader. I mean, that is the suspension of disbelief right there. Right. Um, right. And, and, uh, and kids know what they're doing. They, they want to believe you and, and kids are able to kind of hold, um, uh, fiction and, and make it real in their head in the same way where they still know it's a story. Basically there's a weird middle place that, that is harder to get access to as an adult where, where something is both make believe and true and, right. and kids can get there a lot easier than we can. But it's a place that I think fiction writers are always interested in getting their readers. So you found your niche and it sounds like you found it in an unlikely place because people don't think that the, the camp counselor job is going to be what launches their writing career. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? True. That's not, yeah. Everybody, you and all your other friends are doing internships on the summers off and you feel like you're the real slacker for working at the camp. But that's one more, I think that's one more example, though, that shows that for writers, it's really the life experience. I mean, obviously, you have to make sure you can spell correctly and you know how to type. Those things help. But I think if you're a writer and you don't have adventures, then there's nothing to write about, you know? So, I I, I mean, I I think that it sounds like it worked out perfectly. And I know you had it all planned out that way. Yeah, I did. I am a very, of course, everything is always so well planned in my life. So, so from there, um, when you graduated from, from school, wh- what did you do next? So I, uh, I worked up at a publishing company up in San Francisco called McSweeney's. Um, and, uh, and then I was up, I was back up in the Bay area for about a year. And after that, um, there's kind of a nonprofit, um, arm or kind of cousin to that company 
um, called 826. 826 Valencia is a, is a nonprofit writing center in San Francisco. Um, and they opened up a second one called 826 LA. Um, and it, it, they're places where kids can go and get free one-on-one tutoring and, and help with their writing. Um, and I went down and I ran 826 LA for a few years. So that was, uh, that was, that was fun. That was, I, I was 24 and, uh, at that point and, uh, my big goal was to build the second branch for this nonprofit, kind of a bigger, a bigger tutoring center. So, uh, I was, I was all of a sudden dealing with building codes and, and retail codes. I also, I built a, a time travel convenience store that's yeah, fronted. The, I saw yeah. That. Now, is that yeah. still in existence? Is it it is. Park it's called time... the Echo Park Time Travel Mart. Yeah. Now, what exactly? Um, now, it says a convenience store for time travelers. Now, um, yeah. I want to believe that time travel happens, actually. I, I sure, really do. Absolutely. Um, and it sounds like you must I be don't a believer know why in this. Um, <laughs> yes. Now, what exactly goes on at this, uh, this convenience store? Well, it looks if you go in, it looks a lot like a like a Seven Eleven or any other convenience store. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit outdated. Maybe like a nineteen seventies era Seven Eleven. Like you may, have, you may have time traveled as you, as you go. Yeah, that. exactly. Right, just a, a little thing. time travel. Just, just a, a, mini, little a little time bump. travel. Yeah, a little bump. Yeah. Okay. And then the shelves are stocked with with really kind of strange things like like woolly mammoth chili or uh, <laughs> you know uh, tooth darkening strips. Uh, you go to the Middle teeth Ages. Darkening strips. That's now, right. Now, yeah, is this stuff to fit in 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 the in the Dark Ages. Now, do people actually? Is this like the front of the nonprofit center, or is this something that's the, actual... and yeah? And behind a secret door uh, is is the tutoring center where kids come. Okay, um, so do people and, actually purchase things in that first part? They do. Yeah, and the proceeds from the store benefit um, the tutoring center. So all the money from the store goes uh, to to the nonprofit. Now. Let's go back to the teeth darkening strips just for a second here. Sure, um, now, absolutely. Now, where does one source out such a product? Did you have to make this yourself, or do you? Is there an actual? Yeah, well, that's a great. Uh, a lot of it is stuff we repackage, so you kind of invent <laughs> what the products would be. Um, okay. So, so like for woolly mammoth chili, you need very large cans. Just you need to go and and get some big cans. Um, of cans of woolly mammoth chili, of course. That's uh, that's the second thing you need uh, is woolly mammoth chili to put in those cans. Okay. Uh, and tooth darkening strips. Those are those are actually you know it's a, it's a there's a shortcut basically. It's it's a pair of of kind of hideous teeth like kind of Halloween teeth. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's in it's in a little pharmaceutical jar. Barbarian repellent. That's nice stuff. That's uh, that's good. So do you come up with the na- these products with the kids at the writing center? No, no. I, I, a friend of mine and I uh, just sat down and 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 wrote all this stuff. And uh, and we wrote. I don't know. There were like four hundred products in there. Viking odorant. So Vikings <laughs> put that on and smell terrible. <laughs> and so Stones I imagine and lots of great scents like cod and and toenails. So this is basically a place to shop for someone that you don't particularly like so much. In a way. Yeah, I mean, no, we've got some nice stuff too. We do okay. have some nice stuff. We have some nice old Victorian soap, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've got some. We've got some pretty things as well. Yeah, well, that's fine. Dinosaur I mean, eggs. Dinosaur, dinosaur eggs. eggs. They look nice, and why wouldn't you want a little baby dinosaur? Yeah, why wouldn't you to have it? You know, yeah. through the side of your house at one point when it grows too big. Exactly. Well, I, it sounds like you live your life in a way that there's a lot of fun happening. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think that I think that uh, when I was a kid, I was always looking for books. Like, I, I love books. 
Um, and there are many of them, but that kind of that kind of uh, lion, witch, and wardrobe kind of book where you you find a secret door and and you go through it and you end up in another world. I, I was really convinced that those kinds of doors existed um, when I was a kid, and so I think that's what that's what um, the the time travel story is. It, it is one of those doors to another world. Like you enter that and and you are in a time travel convenience store, and and it's it's a real one of those doors. Um, I think I think books can be um, one, the, one of those doors too. So I, I definitely try to kind of have moments in in my books that, that, that I don't know make make the real world a little bit more exciting too. And so, when was your big break? Were you working? Was it while you were working with the publisher doing the the nonprofit work that you initially got your first book published, or how did, how did that? Happened. You know, it's a weird thing. At that summer camp, uh, the only the only good book they had in, the, in their library was this book, The Stinky Cheese Man and Other Fairly Stupid Tales. Um, I'm getting stupid in the title. Um, <laughs> that seems to be and it's by, by John Sheska, who did uh, who did uh, the the true story of the Three Little Pigs and and a bunch of great books. Um, and the guy is just, I mean, he, he was the first ambassador of children's literature. Um, he's, he's just like, he's just this kind of titan um, there. And I had never read this book before. Um, and, and so I found it and loved it. And I was reading it to the kids. Um, and, and I studied a lot of um, modernist and, and postmodernist literature in college. That was, that was one of my areas of focus. And so it was like really, it was making sense. It's this great metafictional book that was, really interesting to me, like, based on what I was studying, and then at the same time, like, my four-year-olds were loving it for all the same reasons, and so we were connecting over, over what is really, like, a kind of, like, complicated literary tricks, and I just loved this book so much, uh, and I had so much fun with it, I read it, I, like, I had the book memorized by the end of the summer, um, and I, when I was back at school, I had my first idea for a picture book, um, which is actually one that, that is coming out in April, it was not, it didn't turn out to be the first one I wrote, but it was kind of a, a bit of a more complicated uh, metafictional conceit to it. And I was telling my friends, I was like, you know, I know this kind of thing works. I'd always put this caveat in and say, like, there's this book called The Stinky Cheese Man. And, and finally, one of my good friends w- was like, you know, my dad wrote that book, right? And I had no idea because this guy, John Sheska, he has this crazy Polish name. It's S-C-I-E-Z-S-Z-K-A. Uh, and I didn't know how to say it. That was, always, that was like my least favorite part of the book was being, all right, we're going to read The Sticky Cheese Man by John, by this guy John. It's by this guy John, and Lane Smith illustrated it. Thank you, Lane Smith, for having an easy name. And and so my friend Casey, she was just always like, we called her Sheska, but I, I wouldn't have known how to spell it. Uh, and so the next day she said, my, I told my dad about your book, and, and he wants to see it when you're done. Um, and, and when I did finish my first picture book, I, I sent it to John, and he was really excited and, and called me up and said, this is great. I'm, I'm sending it to my agent right now. Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a crazy coincidence. I, I mean, I really, like, I doubt that I would have started. How long were you friends with? Now, is this, you said this is your, your friend. Yeah, yeah, his daughter. I, I had been friends with his daughter for years. Um, this was my senior year of, uh, of college. I had been friends with her. She's a year younger. I had been friends with her since she was a freshman. Oh, my gosh. How yeah. That is so wild. It's so crazy because I doubt that I would have written, uh, like, tried to write picture books if I hadn't known that stuff like John did was possible. Well, and she probably never, she probably didn't come across 
fellow college students who would be like, oh my gosh, there's this book, Stinky Cheese. Yeah. Like, you got to read it. Or you, I, I, I mean, it means so much to me. Like, she probably never heard anybody talking about it because you guys are older. And a lot yeah, of people yeah, reading that. Not, true, yeah. yeah, so that was probably pretty, pretty wild for her, too. So that led to... So he sent the book. Now, what book was it? Was it the first one? That was Billy Twitters and His Blue Whale Problem. It's actually was, was, coming that out. Was, yeah, well, that book was actually my first book to come out. The, the book that I was talking about that day is called Chloe and the Lion, and that one comes out in April. That one, it's a, it starts off as kind of a, just a, a traditional story about a girl getting lost in the woods and then devolves into an argument between me and the illustrator over who's more important to, <laughs> to the story. And uh, it was, of course, me. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So, so that first book, your so your friend's dad sent it off to his agent, and did it go pretty smooth? Like, were you? Did you know? Like, okay, I know a new world had opened up to you at that point. I mean, was that like the beginning? Yeah, it was. I like. I feel very lucky. It, it, things happened. Um, you know, we sold the book very quickly, and uh, and it took a long time to get made. Just uh, waiting. You know, finding an illustrator and then and then waiting for for the illustrations and then waiting for the printing, all that takes uh, a long time, at least like a year and a half or two years. This one took four years in between the time I sold it and when it came out. Oh wow! Um, so that didn't feel very fast, but the rest of it felt very smooth and very fast. And and I wrote in that whole time that I was waiting. Um, so um, yeah, yeah, it was, I, I felt really. I, yeah, I feel really lucky about how it worked out. So how old were you when you published your first book? Uh, I was, uh, when I sold that book, I was, I had just turned 22. Okay, so that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's young. So you're... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, did you have yeah. to wait four years for that, I mean, for all the books to come out? Yeah, I did. did. You... So, so, yeah, by the time it came out, I was an old man of 26. <laughs> but no, did you, since you were writing during that time, were you able to publish something else faster? Because... So that was still the first book oh, that came out, one. but then okay. they started coming out, like, every couple months. So it was great, because I went from, like, people not believing that I had even written a book and thinking that I was lying <laughs> to being, like, totally overexposed in, in just the span of nine months. <laughs> Or like they, they used to like I had friends like oh when's your book coming out you know and then like I, I felt like it was, it was this passive aggressive kneeling and then later it was like please stop telling us about books coming out because it's let me whatever. guess you got another book coming out next <laughs> yeah congratulations we're all very happy about your career you're inviting people to the same group of friends to like book signings like every week yeah. Exactly. I got to pad those book signings out. You got to have your ringers come in. Yeah, that is right. hysterical. So, but at the same time, though, it kind of shows too, like the the hurry up and wait nature of of this whole experience, where you you get all excited because you sell something, but nobody even gets to see any evidence of it for years. That's exactly you know? right. Yeah. So, what did you do during yeah. that time? You were writing, but were you? I imagine. So I was writing, and I was also working. That's when I was. That's when I was. Um, working at 826 so I it was tough it was tough it was it was a you know a lot of work in that job and very long hours and then and then doing writing uh, at night or in the morning or whenever I made it back to my house now, um, do you do you write full-time now now I do write full-time yeah okay and are you finding that it how how challenging is it to make a living as a published author with this climate that we're in where, you know, publishers I know um, are kind of struggling in the same way newspapers yeah. are a little bit like, okay, do we distribute digitally? Do we print? I mean, what do we do? So um, uh, how are you finding it? 
I think you know you hear you hear a lot of I I, I feel lucky that I'm able to do it. Um, I, you hear you hear a lot of stories about how much harder it's become, and and luckily, luckily I guess in a certain way I got into it at the time that that I guess it started getting bad. So I don't have memories of these kind of <laughs> right, days don't. of fatted calves and and. Uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> so you don't they, have, you haven't had to deal with, deal with the pay decrease because you never saw. Yeah, the, exactly. Exactly. I'm like the red roof is, in. this is fantastic. <laughs> the roof is red. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, just, I, I don't feel any twinge when I drive past the four seasons on the way to my La Quinta, uh, <laughs> as I think some writers do. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love it. Uh, I, I love this job. I feel lucky to be able to do it and I've been making it work. It's certainly like, there's always, I think, uncertainty when you work for yourself, right? Like they're, they're, you're always like, what, what if stuff dries up? Um, oh, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I, so, so there's that background fear, and I don't think that that's unusual to writers. Um, but I, 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 at the same time, I, I think that that you know, you talked about digital stuff. I, I think that I think that physical books will have a place next to digital books. What is the best part for you? I mean, do you get to travel a lot and see and read to kids? Yeah, I do. I do. I get to do some traveling, and and I I do. I love. I I just love being around kids. All of my jobs since I started working in high school have, have involved kids, and and um, I just yeah. I I I really I really do love reading. Uh, when I sat and then just sitting around talking to kids. That's I think that's the reason I got into this in the first place. Um, and. And a book is just one way to have that conversation, um, and and so to to get to have it in person is is really great. Well, and is it um, sometimes nerve wracking? Because uh, I imagine that if you write a book for adults and um, yeah. and they and they don't like your book, and you're at a book signing or whatever, or you're doing a presentation, most adults will not tell you, "Hey, I think sure. it stinks," or you know, um, put their head down or try to take a nap during your, your reading. But with kids, yeah. with your kids, and yeah, they're kids, honest. I mean, is it, and I've never done any kind of reading for, you know, of something I wrote in front of children that I wrote something for. So I don't know what this is like, but is it in a way a little bit more, um, you know, a little nerve wracking because these kids, they're going to tell you if they don't like it. Sure. Yeah. They are very, I mean, even their compliments. I got an email last week that, that is from a kid uh, who she, she was, you know, talking about how much she loved this book and then it closed and it was like, you were in uh, my top 50 favorite writers. <laughs> Uh, I was like, oh man, that's not, <laughs> that's not I can't think of like 50 people I like in any field. Like, <laughs> and you know, you're like number 49 or 50, or else you make it into the top 40. Like, it was, it was brutal. It was really, it was a brutal compliment. So yeah, they're very honest. That's hilarious. But it's got to be quite a rush though when you're reading a book and you can tell the kids are engaged and they like it. That's got because they don't yeah. fake it. They don't. The, little kids do not. They don't fake it, and that can't. and I, I think mean, that I that's think great. Can. Yeah. So they're so that's got to be quite a quite a rush to know that you you have a winner, you know. And yeah, and I think it trains you. I think it trains you as a writer in a in a really great way too. Um, you've got to you've got to test yourself, test your stuff out with your audience, and and I I can always spot when a writer isn't spending much time with kids. It, it shows up in in the book, um, and. 
I think that's a real shame. Um, it, it's, I think it's an important thing to, to keep in close touch with your audience when you're in this job. Well, yeah, and understanding your audience, you know. And uh, sure. So, so, do you have like the children? You know, back when you were, you know, at the summer camp, you had like the the kids that were mm-hmm. your, your muses. You know, they didn't even realize that they were, you know, shaping a, a young writer. But do you have like a? I don't know if you have any relatives or any kids on the block or anyone that's like your sounding board, like your four, yeah, your come four here, five, kids, come your, here, your, your come focus here. group of four and five-year-olds that you give them milk and cookies. I and just say, drive down the block and see if I can get any kids in my car to come hear a yeah, story. And the cops are right behind you. You're like, listen, yeah. officer, I'm just trying to read a story to some little kids. You know, yeah, but um, I, mean, you- I, uh, I, yeah, you know, I, I definitely like, uh, I, uh, the first nonprofit, the first, you know, branch of this nonprofit that now has many is, is in San Francisco and I'll go and, and, um, hang out with the kids there and read. And, and also now I get to, to just travel a ton and, and, um, when I'm, you know, re- promoting a book that's out, I'll, I'll also test out something I'm Oh, working that's on. interesting. Uh, yeah, well, that must be fun for the people that come out to see you because it be kind of a, yeah, a sampling a of what might, yeah, what might be on the on the horizon there. And now, do you work with the same publisher for all of your books? No, I work with a few different publishers, um, and and some of that is because that's another way that I think that the business is changing. Is it used to be that that editors would be at one house for their whole careers, and and writers would be with that editor forever. And now editors move around from house to house, and, and you know, very soon, uh, I think even the most faithful writer would find that, that uh, he or she was at a lot of houses very quickly just, just because editors are bouncing around. So you tend to go with your – are you buying the same editor the whole time, or – has that changed? So then you end up being, I, I, I've done stuff with editors as they've moved houses, and then also, and then also, like, you stay with, with the first house you were at, too. Um, I mean, you have stuff under contract, and also there, there's great, there are great people there besides the editor who stay, and, and so you end up, yeah, I, I've, I've published with three houses. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you're a seasoned veteran now. Oh, look at me. I got the scars to prove it. <laughs> You're going to show me a ripped up t-shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, that's dirty. right. That's right. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's from when my editor attacked me. <laughs> Is that, has that hit court yet? Have you uh, filed a lawsuit yet? For, uh... <laughs> no, I I'm keeping it. I'm trying to keep it collegial, you know, really. Yeah, yeah just keep it in that... arbitration. Do you have books for older readers as well? I do, yeah. I have a, a middle grade detective series called the Brixton Brothers. Yeah, I'm seeing yeah. that on there. I'm going to have to get my daughter, um, my second grader. It sounds like that. I haven't done a lot of research on those. Oh, books. yeah. Would that be yeah. age appropriate for her, it sounds like? That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. how many of those? It's about a kid who, uh, there, there's three now, and the fourth one is, is written. That'll be out this year. Okay, so what, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, you were telling us what that was about. Yeah, it's about a kid who who is obsessed with kind of old detective stories like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And, oh, awesome! And those kind of like classic sleuths, and he yeah. uh, he starts solving mysteries and, and uses all of those old school techniques, and and none of them work. <laughs> uh, he just kind of embarrasses himself and injures himself. And, uh, In every uh, that is, I love it though. I I love yeah. the fact that. Um, the main characters are people that it's probably more easily to relate to that character than uh, 
the you know Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, where everything comes to a nice yeah, I, ending. You know, I, 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 I hope so. Hardy, like I felt like the Hardy Boys. I love the Hardy Boys books, but man, those those guys they were such impossible role models. Like you never, you never were going to be as cool as those guys. Well, uh, and yeah. as good at everything. And and Steve, he is Steve Brixen, uh, our our hero in these books. He's very. He is a very fallible guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that makes it, I mean, Go Go Gadget has that same appeal with my kids. Where yeah, I think that's right. I think know. that's right. I used to love Inspector Gadget and Get Smart, which is kind of the, you know, the progenitor of uh, Inspector Gadget as a kid. I, I loved this. How much of this stuff would you say is autobiographical? When you write, well, I like I was I I had a very similar thing. I like I wanted to read all the Hardy Boys books, and I I only owned like seven, but I probably read I I got above fifty. I got close to them all just at the library, and uh, and I uh, I loved them. I was obsessed, and and I I did start a detective agency as a kid, but then of course nobody hired me because I was eight and I wasn't allowed to leave my house, so it was very. <laughs> Yeah, I saw some great crimes inside my house, though. That was very exciting. Uh, especially it was easy because I just lived with my mom. So it was either me, and oh, if it yeah. wasn't, it was her. <laughs> so somebody um, did it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I, I definitely, like, I thought about kind of what I would do with the Hardy Boys all the time. Um, and I memorized their tricks. Like, I did memorize their tricks all the time. And uh, and then it was only much later, like like decades later, that I realized that none of their tricks worked. Like they they're the silliest things. There was one like this this showed up in a book. Like they they did this they have this great plan. Like they're working this this carjacking case, <laughs> and yeah, and they can't figure out where the cars are being stashed. So finally they're like, you know what we got to do, the wooden horse, and 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 so you know that's like they they get this fancy sports car it's like kind of like the engine isn't fully working uh so they get a good deal on it and they get in the trunk of it and and then they get the they park it where the cars are being stolen and the car gets stolen and taken to the hideout and then they bust out of the trunk of their car and and like ko everybody and arrest them (laughs) and i was like wait how did these guys get out of a trunk from the inside like you can't you can't do that. This isn't like a late model Volvo in right. the 21st century right. with a little, like, this was an old 50s sports car. You'd probably suffocate, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're locked in the trunk. <laughs> they're, they're locked in the trunk is what they did. But, you know, it's one of those things, though, that the books we read as kids, they stay with us. And it's got to be so awesome for you to know that there's kids reading your books now that are going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know. Book it's really have. fun to and think about that. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, do you recommend the writer's life to people? Because there's a lot of. People oh, I, I, I love it. Um, but I'm also, I'm also a very <laughs> lazy person who enjoys vast amounts of unstructured time, which I'm not sure is for everybody. <laughs> and there, there's certainly like, there is certainly hard times. Uh, being on deadline, I kind of become nocturnal and uh, and don't leave my house for weeks at a time, and that gets hard and, and borderline frightening to people uh, who know me. But uh, basically, I, I love it. I love the writer's life. Now, how many books do you have to write in a year to actually sustain yourself? Because I know there's, oh, a, mis- I... there's a misconception out there that, because, I mean, as a society, we hold, uh, I mean, to be published authors, like, I mean, it's held in high esteem by people, and it's a, it's a great 
achievement. I mean, not to take anything away from that, but I think sometimes authors laugh a little bit because they're like, you know, yeah, it's awesome to be published, but it's not like I'm rolling around in like a living room full of cash, you know. So no, how, no, I, I mean, keep, it's gonna, I keep you, mine in the in the bathroom. That's <laughs> why I keep all my uh, <laughs> in a toilet paper roll. A little. Yeah, little I can't have it block my seventy inch TV yeah, really, in my living room. Yeah, you got to get it out of the way. Got to get that cash out of there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I I you know I I try to write um I, I write. A, one of these, you know, a longer book, a, a, a novel every year, and then one or two picture books a year at least. Okay. And so that's, and, and the yeah. thing too is, like, when you do a picture book, um, you know, people think, oh, there's not very many words in there. But how hard is it to get a story developed, and how many words do you have? Yeah, I think, I think it's very easy to write a picture book and very hard to write a good picture book. Well, that's um, the thing, yeah. How many words are you yeah. normally limited to when you do your picture books? I mean, your max is going to be fifteen hundred words, um, okay. and and oftentimes um, fewer than that. I think my shortest picture book is one hundred seventy words, um, and, and that's most basically like a twi- kind of listen- I mean, that's like almost yeah. like a Twitter version of a of a book. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's that's not my. It book. is. It's really and 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 my trick that I wanted to do is like, how can I have the like, how can I get the most possible like the most plot possible into these words it was really like that was the experiment and the kind of challenge i set for myself so that book is about um a girl who built a giant robot for the science fair it goes crazy she tries all these different things to try to bring it under control ends up making a giant toad which kicks the robot into the the bay and uh, and then and then you know she's a hero again and 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 then that giant toad uh, starts rampaging um, and and so there, like that what I just did is probably longer than, than the book book. is but I wanted to have all that happen and 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 do it in as few words as possible um, and and I think I think it came out really nicely but um, it is like. It is a kind of radically restricted form, definitely. Well, and there's a, and that's a very challenging to do, you know. So it's it's yeah. a, kind of an art form in itself. But do you? What do you like best? I mean, do you like the picture books, or do you? like... I love picture art? books. I think picture books are such an exciting form. I think that there's a lot of experimentation left to be done, um, and and I, the interaction between text and image is 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 incredibly exciting, and and gives all kinds of opportunities for, for um, interesting narration, I think. Well, and, I, and that brings me back to just your your most recent title, because Extra Yarn just came out, it was last month, right, in January? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so we're real, we're, I mean, this is very new, and, and it's, I, I'm glad you shared the story of how you saw the image and kind of the story came out of the image, because one of the things that struck me about this book is I got the sense that I'm like, wow, these images seem really closely tied to the story like it it just goes so well together and, yeah um and i hope you guys team up again because um, we are teaming up again we're, we're working on another book together right now actually that's awesome and now is this something that do you go since you guys know each other do you just you get together and and talk about the story and or, or do you work through the publisher to to go on with your next project no, we, 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 we did circumvent the publisher a little bit. We, uh, we, yeah, I think most books, I mean, I, I think people like kind of picture an author and illustrator maybe getting together and talking about a book, and, and it so rarely happens like that, but that is how this next book um, did happen. We kind of we 
dreamed up the concept over over breakfast at a diner and then and then I went and, and wrote it and, and now it's time to wait for John to get everything together <laughs> and start doing those pictures. Well you seem to have an interesting relationship with the illustrators <laughs> that you work with. It sounds like you have almost this mock antagonistic type of relationship where you actually I could tell that you like your illustrators, like you like kids. Um but it's a lot of fun to um kind of have this give and take uh, back and forth about who's more important or, um, you know, who's right, bringing yeah. what to the table. And the reality is that, you know, these picture books, obviously you need your illustrator, but if they're great illustration and the story stinks, nobody's really going to care, you know. So I think what you just said is that I'm more important, and I hope that you tell John that. <laughs> oh, gosh, this is going to be priceless. All right, so as you can see, Mac is a rather animated individual and it is no surprise that he is writing children's books it seems like a perfect profession for him so now we'll get a chance to hear from john john is also a resident of california he's originally from canada we're going to give him a chance to talk about his contributions to extra yarn well john i'm really excited to have you on the show i got a chance to talk to mac yesterday uh, your co-conspirator on this project, Extra Yarn, and he was he was ve- very complimentary, uh, but he was also jockeying for position as the MVP of the project. So, uh, and he did that in good humor. Uh, but it sounds like you guys had a whole lot of fun working on the book Extra Yarn. And he told me the story of how he was on a date when he decided that the date was not going so hot, and he thought he would maybe show the lovely lady. Uh, your website and that, that, that's I mean is that um, your understanding of how this came down I mean what do you know about I only it? heard that story recently um, but yeah apparently that is the story is there's a computer nearby um, and so he, he just I, I'm not sure if he had the idea before or whether he was right then and he he saw it. I had a bunch of old sketches on the site in fact I think I probably still do um, the one that he found for the book was from college and it was way deep in the bowels, so it really must have not been going very well because he would have had to dig quite a bit to find it. Um, <laughs> it's, it, was, it was deep down there. Uh, but he, I think he didn't tell me that he'd written it, I don't think, before he, I actually saw the manuscript, and, and, he, and he'd sort of taken this, this one image and, and extrapolated this amazing story out of it. I just, you know, the picture was just a visual sort of a pun. It was just a quick one. Um, it was, in the book, there's a... Matt probably told you this, but in the uh, a picture of, of just her after she's knit the sweater for herself and the dog, just sort of walking. Okay. And it was called Extra Yarn, and, and like I, I, I hadn't even titled it. I think I titled it that, like, you know how you can name the JPEG or whatever that you put on the internet? I just named it Extra Yarn. Um, but it was just that. It was just, you know, one of those things that you just sort of... The story I had in my head for it was that someone had knit it for her as extra stuff. Like, it looked a little... The sweater in the original drawing looked a little bit too big for her, and there was patterns on it and stuff. It was a bit more involved, but... Um, he took the thing and just got this amazing story out of it. I, I, the, the initial picture, I think, was you could see, you could go back and forth on the origin of it, but Mac, you know, the whole the, the, there's a whole story in there that Mac came up with. Well, he said right away as soon as he saw the the drawing, he was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the story came to him right away. And he, yeah, and he said, yeah, I bet it did. Yeah, and I think he was he was really apparently really looking to distract himself from the situation he was in because uh, <laughs> yeah, he said that it was not going well. Um, but uh, he said, though, he is thankful for that experience because had it not had it been going well, he probably would not have been on your website. 
you know. Um, no offense to you, but I think people that are hitting it off probably are not being like, wow, this is really going well. Um, let's take it to the next level and go to John's website and check out his jar. Yeah, well, you never know. I mean, that could, be, know. that could be the button. Yeah. Yeah, that could, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But um, So it sounds like, um, no, did you know Mac before? How well did you know yes. him? Okay, so how did I you... didn't, um, we know pretty, I think we, we talked quite a fair bit before that happened. We've been knocking around some stuff. We get along really well, and we have the same representation. Um, we both have Steve Malk as an agent, and um, he'd introduced us before because he thought we'd, we'd hit it off pretty well. And we hadn't done anything, any projects before. We'd talked about stuff, but still, I think when this came up, I was still working at a studio. Um, I worked in animation for a long time before I, I got into books full-time, and so we were just sort of, uh, it wasn't really urgent to get anything going, even though Mac had a bunch of stuff happening. Um, but we knew each other, but we hadn't done any work. I want to back up a little bit and kind of hear a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Canada, um, not too far from you. I grew up in Ontario, uh, in Toronto and then Niagara Falls. Okay, yeah. Uh, when, when... Uh, my family is vacationed in Niagara Falls, um, <laughs> as most people probably in this part of the, the country here. Um, did you come to the United States to go to school, or what? I, I went to school in, in Canada for animation, just outside Toronto. And then um, after I finished up, I went to work in Vancouver for a little while, but um, most of the animation work is, is down here in L.A. At least the bigger studios are. There's a few out east, but um, I'd, done a, I'd done a story test for uh, DreamWorks, and it went through, and so I moved down here to, to work there for a little. And then I went up north to Portland after about a year down here to work at a studio called Leica that does stop motion stuff and we did Coraline. Um, yeah, I did the, read. Um, I did read that you did some of the work on that, and uh, that's pretty awesome. That was a great. That was a great film. Yeah, yeah. People interested in craft stuff would be really, really into the process of that stuff because it really was all handmade. Everything in there was real materials, and we had to knit little sweaters for all the characters. And they have these people who just specialize in like small costume stuff. Like they have like tiny little sewing stuff to like make little stitches because if you have a character and you want it to look life size because she's only like eight inches tall all the stitches in her clothes have to look almost to scale you know or at least oh, close wow. as you can get and so there's all these really specialized people who do this stuff they make little props you know they make beds and chairs and everything but it's all to scale and i'll have to look at least sort of like you know you get a miniature look anyway but the, the craftsmanship is unbelievable it's, i mean spent two years working on that and just surrounded by it all the time it was really neat so what was your role on that what, what were you doing I was doing set and prop design. So um, if you've seen the film, it's, it takes place in a giant house. And right. the house has yep. sort of two phases throughout the story. And, and the first phase is a very boring house, a very drab house. And then the next house um, is sort of more exciting and, and more interesting that she goes into through this little portal. Um, and so I did a lot of the props for both those, contrasting them. And, and, and then the, the room sets, the designs of the rooms and stuff. You do drawings and paintings and you choose out wallpapers and floor patterns and all sorts of stuff. It was a blast. It was really a lot of fun. And that took two whole years to do? The movie took about longer than that. Um, I was on almost at the beginning, and then I left just before the movie was over because once everything was built, you know, they just had to shoot on it. Right. Um, but I was on for two years. I think the movie as a whole, from, from start to finish to final cut, was probably about closer to three, maybe two and a half. But it takes a long time. So after that, what did you do after working at Coraline? I came back down to L.A. Um, my... The, the girl I'm married to now, <laughs> we weren't married yet, but she lived down here. And she'd been up in Portland for a little while, but she's from down here. And um, the like a job, I was on a work visa because I'm Canadian. And so the like a job was wrapping up and I needed to find a visa again. And so um, I came back down here. The, the work was just really steady. And the, uh, DreamWorks is a great place to work if you're going to work at a studio. So I um, came back down here for about two more years. Um, 
I was working at the studio after that. And then while I was there, I'd gotten a call to do a illustrate a book just on the side and I did it and I really, really liked it. And so I just find out if I could do more books and I could. <laughs> so uh, I was at the studio after about two years and I'm doing books full time now. You know, that's interesting to me that, um, as an artist, because I think a lot of people would think, oh, with technology as it is and everything, that artists are moving more in the direction of like studio work. And, and you've moved from like the studio work to print, which is interesting. And it surprises um, a lot of book people. Yeah. I think. And I was surprised to find that out because, um, if you work in the studio, the, most of the time, if you're, if you're a designer, I mean, not so much if you have some of the other jobs, but if you're, if you're an illustrator or you're a designer, you really like doing work on your own because most of the time you're doing work with, with a bigger crowd, little things on your own that you can have complete control over. Um, and books are very revered. You know, most of the films that, that get done are done based off of books. And it's so the, the source material is, is very much sort of like, wow, you're going to do a book. That's amazing. Like it's very hallowed. And we don't remember books when we were little. And oh, most yeah. of the time people who are, who are that age got into this stuff, not because they'd seen an anime. I mean, some of them got into it because of animation. I certainly did. Uh, but also, that, like picture books and stuff, just hold this like golden place in your heart, and you just like, the idea that they even still get made is amazing. Not to mention the fact that you'd be able to do one. Um, and even when I did that first one, when I was still working at the studio, it was like, wow, congratulations! Like everyone was really pumped up on the idea. And um, and so, but we tell people in books that, and they're like, what? Isn't the goal to sort of go into film, like start with books, and then you go the other way? But it really, I mean, maybe it depends on the person, but I, I, I definitely prefer working on books these days really something um and quite a testament that picture books uh it's just not the same i i have seen you know i have some books for my kids that are on the ipad you know we bought the the electronic version but it's just not the same experience no i think that it's gonna yeah i think you're right i think it's gonna be the same it's a, it's, it's a whole form on its own the picture book and you know when you work in animation a little while i was doing i did a student film in school and we wanted to try and make a picture book out of it and the film was we liked it we liked it quite a bit and it was a, a, a neat idea and the more we like we tried so hard to make a, a book idea out of it and it just didn't happen and it teaches you so much about just sort of thinking about ideas that are right for the form you know right and i, I think that they're going to find i think eventually i think it's going to happen pretty soon that they'll find a different sort of way of telling stories through through ads and stuff um i think it's going to be a little different than books i'm not sure that scanning a book and sort of having that fake gutter in the middle and turning a page that right. isn't really a page right. is the way to go. Right now we're in that weird middle stage, but I think that it's going to, it'll find its own thing, but I'm not sure it's going to sink the picture book any more than, you know, TV sunk movies or anything like that. It's just a different thing. It sounds like you actually didn't really seek out, you didn't seek out a book deal. It kind of, the work came to you. I did after a while because I was doing books, you know, to do it full time, you have to have more than just whatever falls in your lap. Right, so but, you initially, out a little bit. but initially someone came to you and said, hey, can you illustrate this? Yeah, no, it was great. It was a, it was a, a girl named Lucy at Simon & Schuster, and she'd been looking at my stuff for a while, and she just sort of kept trying to find something. And it was a really big deal, you know, because people, so, yeah, it was just, it was really nice. And, um, and I just enjoyed it so much. You don't really think of it when you're doing illustration <laughs> or animation. It's not the same thing, but. The size of a picture book, you know, 32 pages is something you can kill in about five or six months most of the time. And it's just such a nice-sized project. It's, it's, it's a perfect-sized project, I think. And so your first book, which, what was your first book that you illustrated? That was, that was called Cat's Night Out. Um, it was, oh, I think it was three years ago now, maybe more than that. In this case, um, when the publisher is coming to you to illustrate, did they show, just give you the story and did they give you pretty specific guidelines of what they needed or do you have quite a bit of creative freedom to create as you see fit. 
Um, it depends on the project. Most of the time, with this, one of the things that did surprise me about that first book and about books since then, most of the time, is that they send you the manuscript, but um, you get to sort of page it out and pace it out um, if you're up for it. I mean, I think the, if you didn't want to do it, the editor would probably help you out and sort of divide up the pages. But if you have an idea about how the thing is supposed to get divided, it's uh, it's your, it's really your call. Um, you know, within reason, you can add pages and take pages away, and there's there's some math to do. But right. Um, I'm amazed at how much you to sort of direct it. Like with that first book, it was sort of, it was written page by page. And so it wasn't, there wasn't too much liberty to take. Um, right. But with Max book, for instance, the beginning part where you sort of get the text and like, all right, well, what does this look like as a book? How do we, how do we get this so that pages turn properly? And, and there's that weird part at the end with Max book or not near the end, but like with where the Archduke shows up and it's a whole different story all of a sudden. And you're like, well, how does that fit? Do we do that in like a separate section or what is, how do we get that? going and it's it was it's it's my favorite part it's really really neat so you guys were actually able to do a back and forth a little bit to to uh we were a little bit i mean that's just because we knew each other i think with with the first book and with other books i've done there's you don't talk to the author almost at all um and that's i think just i'm uh I, i'm not completely clear on why but i think it just makes it easier for editorial to sort of make the changes they need to make on both sides and i mean if you happen to know the author that's one thing but you don't go you know, I don't think that even a lot of the times the author sees the illustrations until the book is finished and then they get a copy of it and they're like, oh, yeah, that worked really well. <laughs> they might see the, they might see samples from the illustrator before, like they might sort of pass them by, like other things that I've done if they send them to the author and just say, what do you think of this guy? That kind of stuff. But they don't, right. I'm not sure they see very much a lot of the time before it's finished. It's really the editor's job to sort of make sure that's going to go okay. Which is kind of wild when you think about it. You know, it's Yeah, it's I was very bit. surprised. A little bit crazy, but um, and maybe like having someone—if you made a collection of drawings and it given to somebody and have them write the story about it—you know—it'd be kind of like, wait a minute. With picture books, um, oftentimes they aren't the same thing without the pictures, and they can be. If you write a story for a picture book, but it doesn't necessarily depend on the pictures, like you know what I mean? There's right, right, there's right. certain things that you could probably write something that doesn't depend on pictures, it just happens to be illustrated. It just has like sort of companion pictures with it. Right. But I think the better the ones I enjoy doing more as an illustrator anyway are the ones where they sort of conceive of it as it needs the illustrations to sort of tell the story a little bit. There's, it needs something in the pictures that isn't getting told in the text that yes. the kid has to watch out for, that exactly. whoever it is has to look out for. And I think yeah. that's good for, especially for kids that are being read to. It gives them something fun to be able to interpret on their own. You know, since yeah, they have to I, read I definitely it, they can I agree. Look at the illustration and, and they get to you know, have a dialogue. If, if you're being, yeah, if you're being read to as a kid from, a, from an adult, it's almost like the the book has a secret that it's telling the kid that the adult isn't even aware. You know, the, the adult is aware of it, of course, but it's it's something that I think that they feel smarter. They, they sort of get to figure out on their own. It's, it's it's in their language. Right. And it's I think it's that it's that sort of extra middle part that they get themselves. I I, I really like it, and it makes the illustrations more interesting too, because all of a sudden there's a reason to draw things a certain way. What was your process for this? To create the illustrations for the, what medium did you work in, and, and what was your kind of thought process as you worked on this project? I work well. I work in um, I work digitally quite a bit because with animation work, um, there's lots of revisions and stuff, and so you just end up getting used to working digitally. Because it's just much easier to change the artwork that way. Right. Um, and but and for the books, it, it happens that same way. But the books, you have to use a little bit more traditional materials. Otherwise, digital stuff when you print it out on paper, it just looks a little cold. Right. Um. So this one, it's sort of a mixture of a bunch of stuff, um, but it all gets sort of put together digitally, if that makes sense. It yeah, sort of yeah, I can collect all these different things. So do you sketch um, out some stuff and then scan it in, or how do you do? Yeah, that? yeah. Well, you like there's lots of there's a lot of drawing. I mean, for this one, there actually is a little bit of drawing. The people's faces and stuff. There's lines and things like right. that. But um, in the villages and the, and the 
and the, the trees and everything, they're just sort of big shapes. And so you sort of do um, big shapes, like you do big things that have sort of textures or things that you're going to need. Um, like this was another thing that, that it was helpful to have Max sort of know my stuff before, because I think that he did me a favor writing in um, the fact that it was happening in like a snowy town with a bunch of soot everywhere. Cause he knows I like to draw snowy things and he likes, he knows that I like sort of just spattery kind of texture stuff. And so oh, interesting. Good. it's just, that was a big, I mean, I think it works for the story. Uh, you know, he, he, he made it work for this. It, it's, it makes sense that it was a drab little sooty town. No, right, there's no the color sweaters, there. The sweaters show up really nicely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was also just, it was, it was right up my alley that way. So it was, it was helpful. Um, it, a lot, yeah, a lot of the textures and all like the sooty stuff is just charcoal dust that we, you can just sort of, uh, you know, throw across the page and then you either take a picture of it or you scan it in and you can overlay that and, and move it around a little bit as you need to. Okay. Um, the sweater itself, the, the yarn itself took a little bit of experimenting because um, I knew I wanted to do it. Well, we did some stuff. I think at first when Mac wrote the book and when I saw it, I thought it was going to be sort of more patterns, you know what I mean? Like little, Oh yeah. Like little like fair isle patterns. Yeah. 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 And I thought like, you know, it kind of sounds like it was taking place in Eastern Europe or something like that. And we wanted to be a little bit less ambitious. And, and also if we got some more color and it just sort of looked like the colors were shifting a little bit, it would just be more visually interesting as the book kept going. There was so many things to cut up yarn that if we just in one pattern, it would have gotten pretty monotonous. Right. Um, and so we ended up just uh, using just sort of multicolors, everywhere um with the yarn pattern is sort of the constant yeah it's like um, a and i was going to draw the yarn yeah it's kind of like a variegated uh like this one ball of yarn has uh the yarn coming out of the box is just yeah changing yeah, colors. yeah i didn't know the term variegated i kept asking because i'd seen it i had friends who knit and i was like what is it called when the yarn is like almost like you know it sort of has variations in it on its own and you just sort of end up getting a really nice like variation with these little punches of of like you know there's there'll be a green sweater and just like in three places there'll be just this hot pink that just right. bang like right, right. in the I, I really like that stuff. I and mean, we got a little bit of it at the end of the book, I think. But, um, and the yarn pattern itself, I was going to draw it, like how to, you know, the stitching and stuff. And then I was doing that and it just looked awful. It looked really terrible. I couldn't, I don't really know about stitching or the, or the you know, the different the different stitches and everything. And so we ended up just going to like a Salvation Army and getting a handmade sweater that I just found and then photographing it over a light table and then using that, like a big, big swatch of it and just coloring it up as we needed to. And so that's, that's the yarn in the whole book is this, this, this person's sweater, whoever oh, it was. Oh, <laughs> interesting. And what color was the sweater that you photographed? The sweater was just beige, like a light beige. Um, okay. But you can, when, when you photograph it over something, it sort of gives a silhouette, and you can adjust it. I think I got lucky with that one because everyone we're talking to who does know about knitting is like, oh, yeah, that stitch is, is a real stitch. I was like, oh, good. Because, <laughs> you know, they would have caught it if it wasn't. So. <laughs> yeah, they would have caught it. Sometimes books, you know, there'll be a book that comes out, and the story's, the story's pretty good, and, you know, the, the illustrations are pretty good, but they don't always meld together this well so um i don't know if we can make oh, a case uh, make a case here for more agents to introduce the young and talented <laughs> oh we have a very and, good agent i'll say yeah, that we do have a very good agent yeah i mean because i think that was a really good move on the part of your agent because um and what did your agent say when did you bring this project to the or how did that work? Did did the agent get wind of what you guys were doing at some point or? Oh, we we, I, we talked pretty we talked pretty often, and Mac talks to him I think even more often than I do. So I think that Mac had sent it. He had told him he was working on it, and um, he sent it to him. And then Steve sent me the thing and says, you know, do you like? The, I think he was hoping I was going to like it because if he didn't, Mac couldn't very well take it to another illustrator if he'd done it. <laughs> <laughs> that picture right, I did. Right, right. It was like you. Yeah. But, um, he knew, like he knew, I love Mac stuff, and and this picture, this this story especially was, 
I think Mac, it's, it's, it really is a testament to how well Mac can write that he just sort of shifted gears and, and just aimed it right at me because it was, it was like it was, I just took to it right away. And it, it reminded me so many of the things that I'd read when I was little. I, I really liked books. Um, I had a couple books by this guy named Benjamin Elkin who used to write stories about like old kings and stuff. And they were these really absurd little books and they don't think they print them anymore. Um, but he had just these really local bizarre messages in them that didn't really, you could sort of apply them to real life, you know, but they were very vague lessons and they were just about good kings and bad kings for the sake of it. And they were just, you know, always throwing things at each other. And, um, but this archduke at the end just seemed like so ridiculous. And it reminded me so much of those books and like the whole feeling of it, the sort of the vagueness, we don't really know what era this story happens in. And she's got a pickup truck, I guess. So it happens sometime after pickup trucks, but also this guy sails in on this wooden chip and right. goes back so, to his yeah, turret somewhere did, like that. Yeah. There did seem to be kind of a, a very vague time element, but but yeah, and is, I really like that. That's awesome because it does suspend reality a bit. And I think anytime we open, you know, you crack open a kid's, uh, you know, a book like this, it's fun to kind of let go of some of the reality, you know, and just kind of go where the story takes you. And um, Yeah, and, and the book ended up being a little, I think, a little simpler for that because the more detail you put into something, the more you're sort of committing to, you know, different eras or something like that. But if you sort of, we had to keep it clean because we had to sort of make the book agree with pickup trucks and, Archduke sailing in on wooden boats, living in turrets right. out in the Arctic somewhere. So if you keep the cleaner, you keep the book sort of the more that you can sort of fit those two things in it. But it was, I, yeah, Mac just, I think it was, it was really, a, he did me a lot of favors in it as far as, as writing it, aimed it right at me. So there was no, I don't think there was any problem as far as that was. Concerned. Yeah. Well, I know one of the things that Mac likes to joke about is uh, the importance, um, you know, who's more important, the writer or the illustrator. <laughs> and I know in, seri- in all seriousness, I, I definitely, it, it came through very clearly that, he really respects your work. I mean, he wouldn't have written a whole story based on your drawing if he didn't respect your work. But, but do you no, guys, it was a big compliment. Do you guys have um, friendly debates about this issue? I think that we, I think that we agree on, on, on that. Uh, I think a certain kind of story, if he's, you know, it's just, it's, it's what you're best at, I think. And there's no way I could have written anything like this. And I wouldn't even have thought of it. Mac has this bent on this kind of stuff that I just wouldn't have thought of. And I think we, we both really enjoy and it's the same thing with animation, but it, it doesn't happen as often with picture. But, well, it depends. But you get a product that neither of you would have been capable of. You know, you just don't, right. you don't, you, right. and not even that you would, it's not even, you know, it's, it's greater than you could have done. Sometimes it is, but often it's just something you just wouldn't have thought of. Right. Um, and we, I think, yeah, we, I think it's, he's able to joke about it because he understands, like, it's very, very much an equal thing. He, and he's a writer that really respects his illustrators, and so he, he, he does really well with picture books because that's just when it's like we were saying, you know, if you write for picture books, it's not the same as writing for the things you have to understand that these pictures are necessary. They can't just be decoration. So. Right. And you have to leave room for the illustrator to bring something beyond just. Right. And he really, he really does. Yeah. I think he was, he was up for so many things that, that I wanted to, I didn't change anything about the story. I think that there was a couple of things that we just, that he just kind of left room for me to figure out. And it was really, really nice that way. Cause there's no, you know, then you get some, some stock in the book as well. <laughs> well, I, I hope he's going to continue to look at your website just to see what you're drawing, so um, you know, he can maybe get inspired. Well, now again. it's reverse. Now I'm just not, now I'm just drawing things he comes up with, so there's no, there's no surprises anymore. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, are you guys working on something else? Do you get something else going? We're trying to. Yeah. We, you know, it was so much fun this time around. We're just enjoying this one right now, but we, we are we are sort of we talk all the time about this one. So there's yeah, you talk about other stuff. I'm not I'm not sure there's anything solid yet, but it, it'll be fun if we do it. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I appreciate it. No, thank you very much for the attention, man. Okay, so I kind of made a little deal with Mac. I told him that he was going to get a chance to have the last word. 
Oh, man. What do you want to leave the readers with? You know what? I just think, I just think that, uh, I I, I think that, I'll just say this. You've you've heard me talk. You've heard John talk. (laughs) And I'm very confident letting the listener decide. I would also like to say that I don't think John could play Mary Had a Little Lamb on his phone, and I can. So there... (laughs) Can you, that's, prove, can, that's, you prove that? yeah. can you prove that? Yes. So if you're having trouble deciding who was more important, you could say, or better, <laughs> me or John, just listen to this. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Bravo. Oh. Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I imagine everybody cheering. <laughs> I say that's the first time that's ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> I have to start interviewing. I have to interview more writers, man, because I mean, this is this has been a lively. This has been fun. No, I really it's been appreciate. It's a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun. And the thing is, a lot of times with these children's books, and this might be a conversation you've had with John. I mean, sometimes the author gets all the attention, and it sounds yes. like you're at least willing to uh, share the stage, at least partially. Partially. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I actually, I actually <laughs> do think it's, uh, it's, it's, it is an illustrator's form, and and uh, and everybody always remembers the illustrator. So I'm, I'm, I'm just resigned to it. Congrats! I, you know, and look at me now. I'm giving up. Congratulations, John! You made a beautiful book. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing what you guys do next. All right, folks. So wasn't that fun? I really enjoyed hearing how Extra Yarn was made. I am really happy that the publisher has agreed to let me give away a copy of Extra Yarn. And this is thanks to um, the folks at HarperCollins. Um, I really appreciate the chance to give away a copy of this book. So a lucky listener or newspaper reader, we're going to have every, I'm kind of streamlining all the contest entries to craftsanity.com. So head over to craftsanity.com and underneath the write-up for episode 129, please leave a comment about, well, tell me what you would do if you had extra yarn. If you had a box of yarn that was endless, what would you do? Would you get rid of your, all your stash yarn and just keep everything in that box? Or, you know, what would you make? Would you try to sell the box on eBay? I mean, what would you do if you found a box with beautiful yarn in it that never ran out? So you can uh, head over to craftsanity.com, leave your comment. The deadline to enter is Friday, February 24th, so please leave your comment by then, and then I will announce the winner shortly thereafter. Good luck, everyone. And I want to thank the sponsor who made this episode possible. Special thanks once again to Allison Comfort over at House of Comfort, where she makes cute little soft sculptures of felted wool and other natural materials. And she is really working hard to recreate a very mysterious and beautiful world of the forest floor using wool and acorn caps and recycled lids. She's saving things from the landfill and really bringing this forest to life and it can become part of your home decor. So head on over to houseofmoss.etsy.com to check out all of Allison's creations. If you'd like to be a sponsor of an upcoming episode of the podcast, uh, you can uh, head over to craftsanity.com and click over on the sponsor link. There's a little tab on the left-hand side. You have to scroll down a little bit, 
and you can click on that and see all the rates. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to just send a message to sponsors at craftsanity.com and we can get you in the mix. Um, love to have you on board. We're also coming up on the deadline. Uh, we're kind of at the tail end of um, being able to accept ads for the next issue of Craft Sanity Magazine. It's coming out next month, trying to wrap things up. Oh boy, there's a lot of work to be done, but uh, I'm working on the spring issue of Craft Sanity Magazine, and I'm really excited about the projects and the people that you're going to meet in this issue. Um, it's a lot of fun, and there's, we're going to have recipes and sewing, knitting, crocheting, and you know all kinds of crafts, and I think it's, you're really going to enjoy it. So yeah, if you'd like to be part of that, feel free to contact me, and I still have ad space, and I'd ha be happy to get you in. If you have any ideas for me of who you'd like me to interview or if you want to submit something to an upcoming issue of the magazine, feel free to get in contact. I am always looking to work with people that are looking to get their patterns and designs out there. If you have a story idea, interview idea, feel free to send that my way. You know, and I, I forgot to mention something. I did a TV segment last week that was inspired by the book Extra Yarn where I dyed yarn with Rit Dye and microwaved it, was working with cotton yarn, and got some really fun results. So I will post a link to that TV segment, and um, I'll put some photos on the blog so you can check it out. My yarn dyeing process was pretty experimental, but I'll put some general notes online so you can find out what I did and have your own little experiment. I don't claim to be a yarn dyeing expert, but I had a lot of fun with it, and I even made a little sweater. I adapted the pattern that was in the first issue of Craft Sanity magazine, and it was for a mini ornament. And I just uh, used bigger needles and followed the pattern and made a little sweater. So I have my extra yarn sweater, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So anyway, look at craftsanity.com for that information. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you make some excellent stuff. Yeah, so I'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me.